Okay. So we are doing now Sunday's portion of Emor. God said to Moses, Say to the Kohanim, the priests, the sons of Aaron, He shall say to them, To a dead person, he shall not become impure among his people. So we have here this seeming redundancy. Say to the priests, and you shall say to them. The Rashi says the reason why we have this say and you shall say twice is to warn the adults regarding the minors, regarding the children. In other words, say is indicating that the adult priests are forbidden to make themselves impure through the dead, and you shall say, meaning that they are commanded to see to it that the priests or minors also don't make themselves impure. Now, it says here the sons of Aaron, and Rashi has three different explanations here on why it says explicitly the sons of Aaron. First, we might think that this also applies to who's called the Chalalim. Chalalim are descendants of priests, children of priests, and their male descendants forever, from a marriage forbidden to a priest. So if a priest marries a woman that he's not allowed to marry, like, for example, a divorcee, the children born from that union are called Chalalim, which means though their father is a priest, they are disqualified from performing the temple service. And that disqualification continues forever. Meaning the descendants of those male children, even though, again, their father is a descendant of a priest, but still they are all halalim, they are forbidden for the temple service. So therefore, Rashi is saying, it says the sons of Aaron, which we might think would also include these people because they are technically his sons. So therefore, the verse says the priests because they're not considered priests. Another comment on the words of sons of Aaron, also those that are blemished, meaning they can't perform the service, but they are the sons of Aaron. And another comment, the sons of Aaron, but not the daughters. They can have a pure among the people while the dead is in the midst of people, meaning... The idea of among the people implies, the provisional verse applies only to a dead person who has other people to take care of his burial. But a corpse that is a commandment, a mitzvah, which means a corpse whose burial is not being taken care of, it's a commandment to bury this corpse. So the priest, even though he cannot become impure regularly for a dead person, but for a corpse, that's on the road and nobody's around and nobody's there to take care of his burial, he is obligated to become impure to bury that dead body. And that's why it says among his people, or not among the people, and that's why the priest has to make himself impure to bury it. Except for his relatives who is closest to him, to his mother and to his father, to his son and to his daughter and to his brother. So now the verse is listing the people that he is obligated to become impure for. His, the relative who is closest to him. So Rashi explains this relative that we're referring to or alluding to is his wife. So his wife, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Those six, we're told, he is supposed to become impure to mourn for them. The next verse says, and to his unmarried sister who is close to him, who has not been to a man, for her he shall make himself impure. Now Rashi explains this actually, the reason why we're saying the sister who's close to him means the sister who is engaged 
in uh, according to Jewish law, not just in Gaita, as we would say it nowadays, but this is really, the, it is called technically a rusin, sometimes called kiddushin. It's the first stage of marriage, which is transacted by the broom giving the bride a ring or some other object of value. At this stage, from a certain legal perspective, she considered a married woman, meaning she's forbidden to other men. If she would, God forbid, have relationships with another man, it would be considered adultery. But she's still in her father's house. She doesn't yet live with her husband. The second stage of marriage, Nisuin, is when she moves into her husband's house and then she's married in all other ways. Nowadays, we do these two stages back to back because we don't want a woman, if there's a broken engagement, we don't want the woman to be like, why don't we consider like divorced? So we're saying here, the sister who's close to him, meaning this sister who, in a sense, is married, but she's still close to him, she's still living in the father's house, and that's why, since she is still this in a sense, unmarried because she's in the father's house, if she would pass away, then the Kohen is supposed to make himself impure. The priest is supposed to make himself impure for the sister. And again, it's an obligation. So all of these people, these seven categories, his wife, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and his unmarried sister, or sister who only had the first stage of marriage but not the second, all of these people he's obligated to become impure for. In other words, even if he didn't want to because he's a priest and he wants to be able to serve, no, he's obligated to make himself impure. A husband among his people should not make himself impure to defile him. Well, that's okay. That's what we just said. He is supposed to make himself impure for his wife. The Rashi says he cannot make himself impure for a wife who, through whom he is defiled while she's with him as a wife. Meaning, if the priest is marrying this woman forbidden to him, he's defiled. He's prohibited from performing the service of the temple until he either divorces her or takes an oath that he won't have relationships with her. So for such a wife, if she passed away, he's not allowed to make himself impure. They shall not make a bald spot on their head. They shall not shave the edge of their beard and their flesh flesh, they shall not scratch a scratch. Now, these are three prohibitions on mourning we are not allowed to do. God doesn't want us to mourn in these ways. We're not supposed to harm ourselves or inflict these markings on our body as an expression of our mourning. And we have three Rashi's here about these three phrases, because for each of the three phrases, we have the same question. We already were told this in terms of a regular Jew, that a regular Jew can't make a bald spot on his head, he can't shave out his beard, he can't scratch his flesh. So why are these being repeated for the priest? So for each one we're learning something out that we wouldn't have known otherwise. So in terms of making the bald spot, in other words, they can't pull out their hair as a sign of mourning over a dead person. Why is this repeated when we already know this because we're told this for a regular Jew that he can't do this either? Because by the regular Jew it says they can't make this bald spot between their eyes. So if we just had that verse, it would imply that the only time it's a problem is if the ball spot's between the eyes. But if you're choosing to make a ball spot in the back of your head, then it's fine. So here, in our verse here, regarding the priest, it just says you can't make a ball spot on their head, which would mean anywhere on their head it's forbidden. And just as it's true for the priest, that they cannot have this mourning being expressed by pulling out their hair anywhere on their head, this also applies to a regular Jew. From the injunction to the priest, we learn now for the regular Jew, that anywhere on the head is forbidden to pull out hair. That's the first phrase, not making a bald spot on their head. 
second one, they should not shave the edge of their beard. Again, this was already said to the regular Jew. Why is it repeated here? Because by the regular Jew, it said you should not destroy your beard, the edges of your beard. So you could think, okay, I can't destroy it. But if I pluck the edge of the beard with these different devices that um, various commentators and Rashi have various opinions what it means, um, some say it means a tweezer and a small scissors. Uh, some say they're both types of tweezers. There's different explanations of what they mean, but something you use, something, there's something to make smooth the skin by removing hair. So you could think, well, these are not destructive uh, implements. These are tools. So if I'm using these tools, these small scissors, these tweezers, these instruments for smoothing the skin, that's okay. So that's why we have this injunction repeated by the priest, you should not shave, which means even if it's anything to do with shaving, it's still prohibited. In other words, even if you're using a razor, which you wouldn't say, well, that's not destroying, it's a razor. This is its function. Yes, so that's why we have this additional phrase, don't shave the edge of their beard as a sign of mourning. The third phrase was, in their flesh, they shouldn't scratch the scratch. And again, we have the same prohibition for a regular Jew in terms of inappropriate excessive mourning. The reason why it's repeated is because we would think, based on what's written for the regular Jew, you should not make your flesh a scratch over a soul, that if a person made five markings for one person, that's one prohibition. But here it says, don't scratch a scratch. That means for each scratch, you're liable. So if you made five scratches for one person, you just transgress five prohibitions. In other words, you transgress the prohibition five times. So that's why this comment is repeated to, to bring out this point that for each scratch, it's a transgression. Next word. They should be holy to their God. They should not desecrate the name of their God. For the fire offerings of God, the food of their God they offer, so they must remain holy which means against their will. In other words, if they don't want to behave like this, meaning they don't want to refrain from becoming impure through the dead, they have to stay holy and stay pure and not come in contact with the dead. Because we might think, well, you know, it's not a good idea, but if they want to, but here there's a verse that's saying no. Even if they say, ah, this is my best friend and I, 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 for him it's worth to become impure, we're told no. They have to, against their will, they have an obligation to stay holy. This is the responsibility of the community, represented by the court, to see to it that the priests stay holy. Next word. Again, now this is continuing the, the theme of the holiness of the priest. They shall not marry a woman who is a zoina which Rashi explains what that means, or a halala, which Rashi explains what that means. You should not marry a woman who has been divorced by her husband, for each one is holy to his God. So we have three women they are not allowed to marry, a zaina, a halala, and a divorced woman. A zaina is a woman who had relationships with a Jew who was forbidden to her. For example, Rashi says, uh, a person who had relationships with a mamzer, uh, a mom there's not allowed to have relationships with a regular Jewish woman. So if the woman had relationships with a mom there, she is now called this zoina, 
meaning she had relationships with someone she's not allowed to have relationships with, and she's not allowed to marry a priest. Or um, another example is someone who had relationships with someone that if you would have these relationships, you get this very harsh uh, spiritual cutting off of soul, like uh, someone would have relationships with a relative that's forbidden or such people. So Zionists, someone have relationships with a Jew that's forbidden to her. A halala, as we said before, is a woman born from a union unfit for a priest. Uh, for example, if a divorced woman married a priest and they had a girl, that girl is called a halala, and she is prohibited to marry a priest. So in this verse, we have three three categories prohibited to marry the priest because, again, they're holy and therefore they can't marry the Zaina, who is a woman who had relationships with a Jew that she was not have relationships with, a halala, the daughter born to a forbidden relationship between a priest and a woman that their relationship was forbidden, and the divorced woman. You shall sanctify him for he offers the food of your God. He shall be holy to you for holy am I, God, who sanctifies you. You shall sanctify him means against his will. Meaning, let's say this priest is married to a woman that he's not allowed to be married to. He's married to a zaina. He's married to a halala. He's married to the divorced woman. You, the court, has to give him lashes until he divorces her because we have to enforce his sanctity. Now, he should be holy to you means we have to treat him with holiness that we give him priority to commence in all matters, we give him priority to bless at the meal, in all matters in which it's an honor to be first in Tyra or some other convocation, the priest is always given this speaking first. If the daughter of a man who is a priest shall be defiled through having illicit relations, she defiles her father, she shall be burned by fire. Meaning, if a woman whose father is a priest is having these illicit, forbidden relationships, then this is a woman, well, it's different conflicts who it was. Some say this is a woman who committed adultery even after the Jewish legal Irusin, when she's like officially married but still living in her father's home, but before the Nisuin, when she enters her husband's home. Others say no, that it's only after the Nisuin. So there's different opinions here. At what point does this apply? In other words, it could be In other words, let, let, me, let me clarify because this is legal. I mean, not relevant, but legal. When she's living by her father's house, she's still under the hold of being the daughter of a priest. So when she has this legal erusin, she's in a sense married, but she's also in a sense still under her father's jurisdiction. And therefore, she would have this special punishment for defiling his priesthood by her act this much more severe death sentence. Some hold 
Rabbi Kiva holds that even after she's married, now she's married, so why is she under her father's jurisdiction, so to speak, that his priesthood affects her? She's married to a regular Jew. But if she commits adultery at that point, some say that um, still then she would have this punishment. But everyone agrees that if she's single, then she doesn't receive this death punishment at all. Now, why, if she was in this married or semi-married situation, is her act of filing her father? Because it's like a disgrace to him, because they're going to say about him, wow, cursed is the one who fathered this person, this, this woman who committed adultery. Cursed is the one who raised this woman who committed adultery. So in other words, it doesn't mean that she makes her father a defiled priest. He still is complete in his priesthood, but in the eyes of the people, he's defiled by her act.